0: We're all tempted to resent others for their success, for their gifts, for their position, etc. You are tempted by this sin to be jealous of others.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What are the signs of personal obedience to the will of God? Are you willing to do all that God commands in His Word? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his current series with part six of Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven. We're looking at James chapter 3, regarding true wisdom that comes from God Himself. Figuring out what true wisdom is can be a difficult and daunting task. Fortunately, the Bible gives believers a clear path forward. The question is, are you willing to admit your utter dependence upon God for all things? You'll discover the answer today on The Word Unleashed. So let's join Tom Pennington right now.
0: Jealousy can express itself in terms of leadership. Lining up, as the Corinthians were doing here in 1 Corinthians 3, lining up with your allegiance to certain men who were in leadership and Gaining that sort of party spirit I am of a Paul and I am of Apollos he's the one that speaks for me I like the way he teaches it I like what he says I don't agree with so-and-so about this it becomes jealousy demonstrating itself in the church it can demonstrate itself in doctrine now let me say folks you know that I believe very strongly in being accurate and clear with doctrine and standing up for what the Bible teaches But I'm not talking now about the central issues of our faith. I'm not talking about those that we need to lay down as a church as the doctrinal standard for our church. I'm talking about all of those other more minute doctrinal issues that can easily become a cause of jealousy and strife in the church. When we resent and look down on those who don't hold exactly our position, we can develop jealousy in the areas of issues of conscience. We begin to evaluate others by our own standards and convictions, everything from music to dress, and you can fill in the blank because there's an endless list of these. We can become jealous and exercise that resentment in the issue of status and power. We resent the success or position of others in the church. Well, I don't understand why he got that position. I'm much better qualified. Well, who does she think she is? It can demonstrate itself in the issue of gifts, constantly sizing others up who serve in similar roles and deciding that you are superior or resenting those whose gifts are obviously superior to your own, instead of reminding yourself that the Holy Spirit places each of us in the body as he chooses. Jealousy is an ugly thing that demonstrates itself in a variety of ways, and folks, let me tell you, In this word, there is a serious warning. Because Galatians 5.20 tells us that those who practice the sin, that is, who consistently are known by the sin of jealousy, are not Christians and will not be in heaven. Instead, this is part of the work of the flesh. And those, Paul says, who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But if you're a Christian and you struggle with jealousy, what should you do? Well, we've been studying on Sunday night the wonderful doctrine of sanctification that our responsibility is to renew our minds with the Scripture or to immerse ourselves in the Scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds and then to put off that old sinful practice and to put on the opposite virtue. We must all work to put off the sin of jealousy and to put on the corresponding virtue. So what is the corresponding virtue of jealousy? scripture tells us very clearly it's love first corinthians 13 verse 4 says love is not jealous you really love someone if you're really concerned about them then you're excited for them when god works in their lives and gives them those opportunities and allows them to to have a, a place of responsibility in the church love them well jealousy is one chief characteristic of human wisdom, of hellish wisdom. But there's a second characteristic that's always there when there's hellish wisdom at play in our hearts. Not only is there jealousy, but we're told back in James chapter 3 and verse 14, there is selfish ambition. Now, this Greek word has a fascinating history. Originally, it described a day laborer, Like someone here in our city who waits on the corner, on the street corner, waiting for someone to come by and give them a job for that day. A day laborer. Someone who worked for hire. Later, it came to describe someone who worked for hire entirely for his own self-interest. And eventually, it even came to describe a mercenary. Somebody who had no concern for his employer whatsoever, but was just in it for the money. Just in it for total self-interest. Aristotle used it to speak of politicians who schemed to get what they wanted, and what they wanted was completely in their own self-interest. So by the time of the New Testament, this word simply referred to proud self-interest, someone who aggressively promotes himself and his own views, someone who jockeys for position and who is happy when people line up behind them and he gains a following. We would describe people like this today as having a personal agenda, as acting in their own self-interest. They aren't concerned about others. They're only concerned about themselves. They often will build themselves up by tearing down others and climbing, as it were, on their backs to elevate themselves. In the church, the sin of selfish ambition is usually clothed in pious rhetoric about concern for the truth or concern for the health of the church it happened in philippi turn back to philippians for a moment you remember we discovered when we studied this great letter that in chapter 1 verse 17 there were some connected to the church in philippi or i'm sorry these were connected with where paul was imprisoned in chapter 1 verse 17 there were those there near Paul, where he was imprisoned prison in Rome, who were proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. But it was also happening in Philippi. Look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3, he tells the Philippians, listen, I want you to be united and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Selfishness, by the way, translates our word that's translated in James as selfish ambition. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In fact, have the attitude that Christ himself had, who was willing to give up his rights, willing to give up his position for us. By the way, Paul doesn't tell us here what the issue in Philippi was or who was on what side because it really doesn't matter. The Philippians he's confronting may have even been right in their cause, but that's not the issue. The problem was the spirit with which they were pursuing their cause. It was self-oriented. It was to promote themselves. And Paul says, don't do it. Listen, this sin of selfish ambition is at the heart of all rebellion against God. Romans 2.8 says that it is the characteristic of those who are perishing. Perishing. Galatians 5 says it's one of the works of the flesh. This sin of selfish ambition was part of the very first sin in the universe. It was at the heart of Satan's rebellion. It's a very serious sin. And James chapter 3 verse 14 tells us that this sin of selfish ambition is often accompanied by jealousy and by Arrogance. And often, people who are guilty of selfish ambition don't even recognize it. They're self-deceived. This sin is so insidious, isn't it? I was reminded of that in my own heart just last week. Last week, uh, as you know, I was in Louisville for a conference. Louisville is the home of of Southern Seminary, which is the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. And one night after one of the sessions there was a special reception at Dr. Moeller's home, who is the president of Southern Seminary. Some of you are familiar with him. And because of my past association with John MacArthur, I found myself invited. And for the first few minutes, I'm happy to tell you my thoughts were fairly Christian. You know, I wondered why I had been included in such an august group that was assembling. And Thought, you know, it's very gracious of someone to have thought to ask me to come. That's very gracious. But from there, I have to tell you, selfish ambition raised its head and my thoughts went downhill from there. I suddenly found myself thinking ugly thoughts about using this occasion for self promotion. It wasn't long those thoughts had come through my mind. Uh, until I was reminded of something I'd been studying. Ironically, earlier that day, I'd been studying this very passage in preparation for this message. And as these thoughts began to come into my mind, like a thrust of a sword, the Spirit rebuked me with these words, if there is selfish ambition in your heart. Listen, folks, we are all tempted by these sins. We must examine our hearts. Are we always talking about ourselves? Are we always the hero of our stories? Are we always trying to make ourselves look good to others? Do we tear others down in order to build ourselves up? Are we consistently motivated by jealousy and by self interest? If so, James has some counsel for us. Notice what he says at the end of verse 14. We could translate it like this. Don't sin against the truth by boasting of your wisdom. Don't sin against the truth by boasting of your wisdom. Douglas Moo, the commentator on the book of James, puts it this way. To boast about wisdom when one is displaying jealousy and selfish ambition is, in effect, to give the lie to the truth about what wisdom really is and wisdom does. In other words, you can't harbor jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart and really be wise or living in wisdom from God's perspective. And that's because these two sins are always the chief characteristics of hell's wisdom in whatever form it takes. It's always about self and promoting self and accommodating self. Now verse 15 introduces us takes us beyond the chief characteristics and introduces us to the origin or source of hell's wisdom. Notice verse 15. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. Of course, he's reminding us of chapter 1, verse 17, where he says every good gift comes down from above, that is, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He says, listen, if your life, if your heart is characterized by jealousy and selfish ambition then the wisdom you're living in is not the wisdom from above it may be a form of earthly wisdom there may be some cloak of wisdom to it as paul says in romans 1 professing themselves to be what wise they become fools it may look wise from somebody's perspective but it's not From heaven, it's not from God. So the natural question is, if it's not heaven's wisdom, if it's not from God, if it's not from above, what is the source of this wisdom? Well, James answers in three adjectives. He says in verse 15, it's not that which comes down from above, but is earthly. That is, it belongs to the earth. It has no connection to heaven whatsoever. And it is natural, literally soulish This word is usually contrasted with that which is spiritual. It's not spiritual, it's merely human. But here's the scary part, it's not even ultimately human. He says it is demonic. The ultimate source or origin of all wisdom that stands opposed to God's wisdom is from demons. If you could trace all forms of counterfeit wisdom back to their source, it would be Satan himself. I mean, after all, where do you think jealousy and selfish ambition first appeared? The very first time these sins were practiced, they were practiced by Satan. The very first time they showed up in the universe, they were found in the heart of the covering cherub, Satan himself, who fell from the position that God had exalted him to. You know what James is saying here? He's saying if you embrace spiritual ideas, beliefs about truth, views of the world, world worldviews that run contrary to God's wisdom as revealed in his word, you have bought the lie, you are believing satanic wisdom, and from God's perspective, you are a fool. Or if you're a believer and you embrace the truth of the Bible, but you find jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, you are not truly practicing God's wisdom. Instead, you're practicing a wisdom that is earthly, of the earth, that is natural as opposed to spiritual, and that is ultimately demonic. So in his analysis of hell's wisdom, James has shown us the chief characteristics of hell's wisdom, the the origin or source of it. In verse 16... describes it by its results. Look at the results of hell's wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Notice that hell's wisdom produces two results. First of all, disorder. This Greek word literally means not put in place or out of order it refers to two different kinds of unrest. It refers to a kind of social unrest, like rioting, disturbances due to mob action. In this sense, it's talking about disruption in the church. In other words, listen carefully, people who struggle with jealousy and selfish ambition will eventually produce disputes and factions in the church. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12.20 and in Galatians 5.20, Paul uses the plural form of selfish ambition, and in both cases it's translated disputes. Because this is where selfish ambition always leads. People who want to promote themselves find themselves in conflict with others, and it produces fights. We'll learn more about that when we get to chapter 4. But the word disorder was also used of political unrest, of revolution, of insurrection against authority. In secular Greek, this word could even be translated as anarchy. Listen, God has established a variety of authorities in our lives. His word, of course, government and its officers, leaders in the church, bosses, parents, and others. We have all kinds of authorities in all of our lives. If we live by hell's wisdom, then rather than submitting willfully to God and to the authorities he's put in our lives we will reject that authority. It may be overt rejection and rebellion, outright rebellion against that authority, or it might be more subtle. You know, like the kid, I'm, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Disorder, rebellion, rejection of authority. You see, without the work of God's grace in our hearts, we will be driven by our jealousy and selfish ambition That will lead to disputes and rebellion against the authorities God has placed in our lives. Disorder. Well, there's a second result that hell's wisdom always produces. Notice the end of verse 16. Every evil thing. The word evil here is not the common Greek word for evil in the New Testament. It's a word that means vile, corrupt, depraved. You know, pride... And self interest seems so innocent and innocuous, don't they? I mean, everybody has that in their hearts. So, what does it really matter? I can tolerate those things. After all, it's not murder, it's not adultery. But Scripture says these sins are not harmless peccadilloes. Instead, they give energy to and they express themselves in every kind of sin, every evil thing. You know, as I thought about verses 14 to 16, I was reminded of the fact that there was a time when these verses described every one of us. Or to put it in the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, all of us like sheep had gone astray. Each one of us had turned to his own what? Way. We were only after ourselves. We were promoting self-interest. We were pursuing what we wanted, self-advancement, self-fulfillment. Self-promotion. That's where worldly wisdom will always take you. But thank God Isaiah doesn't leave us there. The second half of the verse says, but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Christ. You see, believer, instead of treating us like the rebels that we are and taking our lives the very first time that we rebelled against him in self-interest rather than interest in God, In grace, God let us live and allowed us to enjoy the good gifts of life that come from Him. And He showed His love to us in such a profound way that He sent His Son to die on the cross. And in that death, not only did He deal with the need for our forgiveness for these terrible sins, that was the heart of the atonement, the death of Christ. But He also gave us an amazing example of how to shed these sins in the interests of others. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2. I read it before, but I want you to see it in this context. Philippians chapter 2. Believer, here's what we're to do. Verse 3, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from self-ambition, selfish ambition or empty conceit. There's what you're to put off. So what do you put on? With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. By the way, this isn't a woe is me, Eeyore sort of attitude. You know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, think I'll go eat some worms. You know, that's that's not what he's talking about here. Humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking about others. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Focus on others. And if you have trouble seeing what that looks like in real life, think about Christ. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think about what Christ did. He laid aside everything that was to his own advantage, and he became a slave to us all, even ultimately becoming obedient to the point of death. And not just any death, but the death of a common criminal on the cross. Why? Because he was more concerned about us than himself. There's the example to follow. If You're here this morning, and you have to admit honestly that you're not a believer, that your life is controlled by, your heart is dominated by, jealousy and selfish ambition. You live for self-fulfillment. You live to promote yourself. And you only show interest in others as it will promote you, as it will make you look good. I plead with you this morning, based on the grace of God. You see, that's where we all were. There's nobody in this room that wasn't described like that. And we still struggle with the sin, but here's the difference. We've experienced God's grace, and I urge you this morning, if you are willing to turn from the anarchy of your heart if you're willing to leave your own way, pursuing your own self-fulfillment, if you're willing to turn from what you know to be sin and to bow at the feet of Jesus Christ, as it were, and acknowledge Him as not only your Savior, but your Lord, the person to whom you will give account the rest of your life and in eternity, the one for whom you will now live instead of yourself, if you're willing to do that, to embrace Him in faith, then God makes an amazing promise. He will pardon your rebellion. He will adopt you as his own child. And he will treat you as if you were as righteous as his own son because he will credit to your account Jesus' perfect life. That's the grace of God. And I trust even today you will receive that amazing gift at the feet of Christ. Let's pray together.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on the Word Unleashed with part six of Wisdom from Hell versus Wisdom from Heaven. Join us next time for part seven as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. Well, Tom, truly the pursuit of wisdom begins at the moment the believer surrenders his or her whole life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, doesn't it?
0: No, Bill, that's exactly right. And in fact, friend, can I just appeal to you To understand that if you have not submitted yourself to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you are outside of God's wisdom. Christ made all things, all things exist for Him. He's the only one that can tell you what it is to live in this life in a wise way, a way that He knows, that our God knows is wise. And so I would urge you today to submit yourself to Him, to come to Him, seek His forgiveness. Commit yourself to follow Him, and He will become, as Paul puts it, the wisdom of God to you.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge, Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org.